Amen. If you would take your Bibles tonight and open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's been good having Benny fill in for Ethan today. And um, as I've gotten to know Benny, I know Benny's heart is is pure. He just he just wants to serve the Lord and uh, really wants no recognition at all. Probably embarrassed that I'm even going to this level of things but as he shakes his head at me but uh Benny we appreciate appreciate you leading today. Second Timothy chapter 4 we are in the midst of on Sunday mornings a series entitled Saved as you know most of you know looking at the application of redemption what it means to be saved what all's entail what what all is is uh, is included in that is it uh, simply Praying a prayer, walking an aisle, going through a baptistry, and and uh, and that's the end of things. Um, well, the answer obviously is no. That uh, there's so much that is involved, and over the past few weeks, we've looked at the fact that that God uh, regenerates, that He calls, that we are converted, that we are justified, that we are adopted into His family, that we enter into this process of being sanctified, and all of these are um, churchy words. But all of it has given, I hope, given you a bigger, better picture of what, just how great the gift of salvation is. That it's more than just, just me one day going to get to go to heaven. That it is, a, it is eternal life that has begun already. Abundant life that begins with Christ. And so uh, we come this week to um, the eighth part of it which is death. And oftentimes you don't think of death as being a gift um, or a, a good thing as far as salvation is concerned, but death really is. Death for the believer is how we finally transfer, transfer from this life to go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I walked away from this morning, and I hope you didn't feel this way, uh, I walked away wondering, gosh, did I give them any hope today? And... Uh, you know, Greg came up to me after the service, and Greg was was complimentary as Greg always is. And uh, and I said, Greg, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe I just kind of left it on a very gloomy note. So I hope it hope it wasn't that way this morning when you left. But uh, death is not something that we as believers should fear. Death is really to be celebrated. It's really to be, and and not in a not in a morbid sort of way, but it is that that doorway that we go through that really is nothing more than a doorway for the believer. And it takes us to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I want to I stay there tonight. I want to look at it a little more in depth. I want to give you some more imagery of, that the Bible uses to define or describe death um, because I want you to see this. Um, our, our culture is fascinated with death, aren't they? I mean, everywhere you turn, they're fascinated with death. Movies... Uh, I don't think, I think there's more, probably, I don't know the stats on this, but there are probably more horror movies today being made than any other kind of movie, any other genre. And, and I think those parents who have teenagers would probably weigh that out because, you know, your kid wants to go to the movie, you say, what are you going to see? And a lot of the time, it is, it is a, a scary horror movie that's all about death and violence and mutilation and all those sort of things. And it was, it was, 
it was, we looked at this morning that it's not natural, that it shouldn't be part of our existence, but sin has brought it into the world. But God has redeemed even death, and one day death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. But until then, how should we view it? Um, and I think our culture has an unhealthy approach to it. But uh, I want to show you this tonight. This is Paul coming to the end of his life. And uh, let me show you just again how he views this issue of death. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul here is coming to the very end of his life. We talked this morning about the fact that if anybody had suffered for the cause of the gospel, it was Paul. He had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten, he had been stoned, left for dead, all of these things because he had turned his back on his old life because he had been set free in Christ. And he wanted to spend the rest of his life Serving that cause, serving that mission, which is what all of us who are in Christ should also do. Um, I, I want to just walk through this with you and, uh, and pick out a few of the phrases that he uses. First off, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Um, the drink offering is, was part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And that you look at different places in Genesis and Exodus and, uh, and Leviticus, Numbers, different places. It is prescribed how all of these sacrifices should, should take place and all of these offerings. And in a few of those situations, in a few of the specifics, it calls for a drink offering. And uh, it would be where they would take a certain prescribed amount of wine and that they would use that in the, in the offering. Particularly, one was in the days of the harvest. And when, they would, when the harvest would come in, their vineyards would be full, the harvest would come in as a symbol of, we want to thank God for this. God has provided the, the harvest that we have. Then they would take part of the, the grapes and that they would, they would offer wine. They did this at the instructions of God. Um, and so here when Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, what he's saying is in the same way in those days that they would offer this drink offering or this wine as a symbol of thanksgiving for the harvest, I am a drink offering. In the, and the picture that I got when I studied this was that just as those grapes were harvested and then turned into wine, and some of the wine was then poured back out as a symbol of all of it comes from you, God, Paul saw himself as just one among many that were being harvested for the kingdom of God. And if his life were, were to be poured out as an offering of thanksgiving and dependence for all the rest that would come in through the gospel, then he was happy to be that one that would be poured out. And it really ought to be the attitude of you and I. It's how he describes his death, that he's being poured out as a drink offering. And I want you to notice that... Um, it would be easy for us to say, well, then we ought, to, we ought to do the same thing. We ought to pour our lives out for the sake of the gospel. 
But notice the language that Paul uses. Paul doesn't say, I pour myself out, does he? What does he say? I am already being poured out. You hear in the language that there is someone else that is pouring him out. That he views his life as an offering to God, that God himself is the one pouring him out. That God has directed every step. That God has taken him in all of these places. That there was never a time when he was uh, stoned or beaten or shipwrecked, imprisoned. There was never a time when God was not at the steering wheel. God had led him to all that. God was the one who was pouring Paul's life out. And you and I reap the benefits today because we have the recordings of that. We have really a very, just the standing itself of being able to say we are Christians today, those of us who are in Christ, because it was Paul who led those missionary journeys that took the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world that then led other believers like Timothy to then also take the gospel into further reaches of the world until finally one day it came to us. Your very salvation today is wrapped up in this drink offering that is being poured out in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see that. And Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is how he sees his death. And the time of my departure has come. He, this is another way that he sees his death, that he, it is simply a departure. Isn't that a good thing? And for us, it's simply a departure. Uh, I've shared this often at funerals, um, but that word departure there has at least three different meanings, uh, three different ways that that particular word was used in the language of that day. One was when talking about an animal. When an animal had worked in the field, um, uh, particularly an ox, uh, had worked in the field, plowing the field all day long, and they would bring it back in the, in the evening, and they would take the yoke off of the ox. It, that was the word they would use, that the, that the yoke was departed from the ox. And so the picture here that Paul could be using is that through his death, he's entering into rest. That this, this yoke of sin and decay and wasting away that has been wearing on him, that he wrote about in the text this morning, that he is wasting away, groaning in this tent, that death, he sees it as departure from that. That that yoke is being removed from him so that he can finally rest. Um, it's easy in this world to get weary, isn't it? It's easy in this world to get tired, to get broken down, beaten up. Um, I'm trying to get back into jogging. I say trying, and I use trying loosely. <laughs> But I'll go out there and I'll, I'll hit the pavement and I'll run, you know, five, six minutes at a time trying to just make it to that five and six minutes looking at that digital watch seeming like every second trying to get to that mark. And I finally reach it and I just 
just walk. And it's like, oh, my feet feel like they're 30 pounds a piece. You know, I feel like my heart's going to come out my chest. Uh, you know, that, uh, that I'm just sweating profuse, profusely. Uh, last year when I was again trying to get back into jogging, uh, I was jogging down the road, and, and it was quiet, and I had my, my iPod in, and I was listening to a sermon, and, and uh, nobody was on this road. And, uh, boy, I, I mean, I was just about to that end. I was watching it all. I was trying to not have my heart explode when a cyclist came by me and said, Looking good! <laughs> my heart was already pounding, and uh, I felt like it knocked the earbuds out of my ears when he did that. And uh, if he was going to come back by, I was taking him off that bike. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, but it's easy. It's easy to get beaten down and weary and tired in this body. It doesn't take long to know that this body is not going to last forever, that it's, we're heading toward an end. And uh, here Paul uses this word departure. My departure is at hand or has come one of the ways he uses it, I think, is to say, I'm going to be set free from this yoke that I'm in. I will enter into rest. A uh, second way that I think he's using it, using it, and that this word was used in the language of the day, was in loosing a prisoner from their chains. Um, when a prisoner was set free from those chains, um, there was release. That he sees himself as... Not just tired and weary, but imprisoned in this. Um, you know, it's easy for us to realize that as well, that, uh, that we have these limits. I was at Abner Creek Academy the other day, and we were talking about um, the resurrected Christ and, and how after the resurrection he appeared to those, um, those disciples in that room, and it specifically says that the room where they were meeting was locked for fear of the Jews. And that Jesus just shows up in the middle of the room. Uh, nobody opened the door for Jesus. He just shows up. And then it goes on and it points out that, that he was real, that he was flesh and bone. And he showed, him, he showed them his, his scars in his hands and, and all of that. And uh, we see this, this mysterious glorified body in the Lord Jesus Christ that one day, we don't know if it's going to be exactly like that, but one day... We're going to have something similar to that. And uh, as, you know, being six foot three, people are all the time saying, you're tall. Did you play basketball? If I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. In fact, I was in the little cricket up here the other day, and I was walking back to the cooler to, to, to get a Diet Coke, and this little girl just said, you're tall. <laughs> yeah. uh, and... I did play a little bit of basketball growing up, not a whole lot, because um, I was never that coordinated. And I always wanted to be able to jump higher than I could. And I would spend hours out in the driveway when I wasn't practicing my Randy Travis impersonations. I was out in the driveway trying to, trying to be the next Michael Jordan, I guess. And uh, I'd spend time out there, and I would jump and run and all this sort of thing. And never could jump like a person that was six foot three should be able to. I uh, watch these guys on TV now, and I think, boy... How do, they, how do they do that? Well, one of these days, I'm going to be set free from these limitations of this body. We're, we're held captive or prisoner in these bodies sometimes. Um, my grandmother 
suffered with Alzheimer's for um, the better part of 15 years. And, um, you know, took her a few years in the beginning to, it, it was just forgetting this and not recognizing this person and not knowing your name. And, and then it just progressed and it went to where she just didn't, she didn't talk and she was uh, sort of withdrawn in a fetal position in, in the bed in the nursing home. And um, there was a day when she went on to be with the Lord and she departed and her departure was being set free from all those limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's the way Paul's using it here as well, that he looks at this thing as one day that he, when his departure comes, that he'll be set free. There won't be any more problems with his eyesight. And we know this about Paul, that he had these problems with his eyesight. He, in some of the letters, he says, you see with what large letters I'm writing to you. And the reason he wrote large, I think, was because he, in, in the latter years of his life, his eyes were failing. Um, you know, Paul was, Paul was a man of short stature. I mean, he was short. And uh, the, the descriptions of his, of his physical looks, I mean, he wasn't much to look at. He had a voice that no one wanted to listen to, yet he did more for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, than, than anybody else in human history outside of Jesus Christ. But I think he looked forward to this day being set free from all of that. The third way I think that this word departure is used in the language of that day, it was, it was used to speak of the loosing of the mooring ropes on a ship. When a ship would come into the port, um, they would they would throw these ropes over the port and, and, and it would it would tether or anchor that ship to the port until it left again. And then there come a, would come a time where they would cast off those mooring ropes and the ship would set sail and depart. And this word was used for that. Um, it was also used to not only of a ship, but also of a tent. When you would strike a tent and you would take the ropes, you would take the pegs from the ground and, and fold the tent up. And I think that's also what Paul's referring to here. Is that one of these days, his life would come to an end. And, uh, and he would say things like, in this life, he would say, uh, make sure you come before winter, bring the, bring the coat and bring the, the parchments, bring the writings. Because he was coming to the end, he wanted, he was cold where he was, it was winter was coming on. He wanted the, the, the scripture, he wanted the scrolls that he had, he wanted to be able to study those even in his last days. But he knew there was coming a day when he would depart, when he would set sail. When those ropes that tethered him to this world would be cast off and he would depart and set sail for heaven. Isn't that wonderful imagery for what death is for the believer? Doesn't it, doesn't it beat what you see in the horror films that our kids are going to see? And this is what I want my son, my daughter growing up knowing that, hey, death is not something to, to entertain us. It is not something to, to be afraid of, nor is it something to be laughed at. It is something to be celebrated because it's there that we are loosed. We are finally at rest. We are loosed from the bonds of 
the imprisonments of this world, and we set sail to be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. In that way, I hope that helps you see that death really is a gift. That in death we become like Christ because he also died. But if he was raised from the dead, then we also will be raised from the dead. And I think the lesson in this from Paul would, would be if death came to Paul, arguably the greatest Christian in human history, then it also will come to us. And that death is near all of us. You know, a few years back, there was uh, we had, a church member had gotten news that, that the doctor had given them, I don't know, it was like, you know, just a matter of weeks. And I had never thought about it. I was young, and I just thought nothing will ever, nothing will ever happen to me, and blah, blah, blah. I've got all these years. And I remember this person was conveying this to me and my wife. And my wife said, that doesn't mean anything. I may not have till tomorrow. And it hit me. Hit me like just this ton of bricks just, just fell right on top of me. That, that's right. And it's such a simple, simple fact of life that no, we're not promised tomorrow. I, I may not live. I, I'm 36. I may not live to be 37. The person who's just been given the bad news by the doctors, they really don't know that our life is really in the hands of God, but it's near all of us. It's coming because we live in this sinful world. And therefore, we better be ready. We better be ready because it is coming. And that's why I think Paul goes on in verse 7 and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think Paul, Paul is not bragging here. He's not wanting anyone to, to glorify him. But I think he's honestly looking back over his life and saying, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. But as I look back over my life, I've done all that I can do. And he lived in such a way that even though he knew Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, he lived in such a way as if Romans 8.1 were not true. That he was having to live every day to please God so that God's wrath would be turned away from him. Although he knew all of God's wrath had been turned away from him and cast on Jesus. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Here he speaks of this perseverance. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, this perseverance of the saints. That, that Paul, because Christ had laid hold of him, he had made it to the end. And Paul knew, the only reason I have fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith, is because there has been one working in me. There was somebody's Sunday school lesson this morning, I think. Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation as God works in you. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that, that, um, that he works and wills in us for these good works that he's prepared ahead of time for us. And Paul knew that. 
Paul here is not bragging and saying, look at me, look at me, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I've finished the race. No, what he's saying is, I'm here by the grace of God. I'm at the end, and it's so good to be at the end. Paul was embracing it. He had said multiple times, I'm torn because it's better for me to go on it's better to me, for me to be away from the body so that I can go and be with the Lord. But it's better for you that I stay here. And I think Paul was coming down to the end and he's handing over the baton and he's talking to Timothy, his son in the ministry. And he's saying, Timothy, look at my life, at the faithfulness of God and you mimic my life as I have followed Christ because Christ has laid hold of you in the same way that he laid hold of me. You run the race. You fight the fight. And you will reach an end where also your life, you will be able to say, is being poured out as a drink offering. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Capital D, day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is coming a day, a day that is marked somewhere off in the future of of history where God will bring it all to a close. When the whole thing will finally come to its consummation. When creation that fell, that was redeemed through Christ, will finally be glorified. And he says here, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness. And again, he's not saying because I'm so righteous. What he's saying instead of is because God has laid hold of me and kept me to the end. He has also reserved for me this crown of righteousness. It is his grace alone that's brought me to this point. And I think what he's referring to here, this crown of righteousness is this whole picture, this whole package of salvation that we've been unpacking for the last eight weeks and that we'll finish next week, Lord willing. I think he's thinking through this issue that he was justified when he didn't deserve it at all. He was in absolute rebellion against God. He was persecuting the followers of Christ. He was having them killed, holding the coats so that they could stone Stephen. And on his way to persecute more, God knocked him off of his horse and blinded him so that he could cause him to see. And I think he's saying that that happened in in my life and I'll never get over that day. I was justified. I was born again. I was justified. I was adopted into God's family and called to be one of his apostles. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't deserve it. But God's grace has led me to this point. And the same process of sanctification being made holy, being made like Christ that you're in the middle of if you're a believer right now. Paul went through the same thing. Paul had weakness. He he had all these things and all of it was, was a part of God making him like Christ. All of it was a part of God making him holy. 
And then I think finally what he has in mind here is this crown of righteousness is the day when he will be glorified. And that's what we're going to talk about Sunday morning, Lord willing. Is that he would be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there was coming a day when his body would be raised from the dead. And he would be given a glorified body that was somehow fit for eternity. That was somehow fit for heaven. And he would live forever with his God. Paul anticipated this heavenly reward. And he knew that there was no way to get to that heavenly reward except by going through death. And he didn't view death as something to be dreaded or feared, but he embraced it. He saw it as rest and freedom and departure. And I think that's how we should view it as well. You know, I, I don't know the day of my death, and neither do you. Um, I don't know that I'd want to. I mean, we could take a poll tonight, and we could discuss that. Would you like to know the day that you're going to die? I don't think I would want to know that. Because as it got closer and closer, I think I would probably begin to shut down more and more. But the reality is, I may have, I may have 20 seconds... Boy, wouldn't that make an interesting Sunday night service. Or I may have another 50, 60 years. But I will not spend the rest of my days dreading that day. By God's grace, I will will walk through this life. And I will trust Him for every breath that I take, every heartbeat, every brainwave. And by the grace of God, I'll be led by him, and so will you. And then when it is time, he will call us home, and that will be a wonderful day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, God, that you are our God, that we don't Look at death as those who have no hope, but we look at even the prospect of our own death. And we can embrace that and even in some ways look forward to that. Not in this morbid way, but God, that we know tonight beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is alive even though he was dead, and because he is alive, we also will be alive. That we will not simply come to an end, nor do we face fear and trepidation of what comes beyond the grave, but we look forward to it with eager anticipation in the same way that a pregnant woman looks forward with groaning in the midst of childbirth. She looks forward to being set free from the pain that is produced by that to the joy that will come in that child. God, that is the same way that we look forward to 
our own passing from this life to the next. And God, we thank you so much for that. Thank you for Jesus, for what he has done. We only boast in him. And we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Tonight is, um, is our monthly business session.